0: With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre sales to select campus events while supplies last, make every tap
1: music to your ears.
2: Hello, boys and girls. Welcome in to the Boys and Girl Podcast with Cowboys NFL Network reporter Jane Slater and NFL Network producer Bobby Belt. A Cowboys community with the inside scoop on the Dallas Cowboys. Now, coming straight to you from the Lone Star State, here's Jane and Bobby.
1: All right, Cowboys fans, it is week one, so we are back in regular season form, meaning you're going to hear from us twice a week. And we have got a jam-packed show. Not only do we welcome in Michael Gelkin, who is on the beat with Bobby and I, working for the Dallas Morning News, but we also have Randy Gregory's agent of record, Peter Schaefer, who's helping him get back in the league and uh some we don't get to answer all of the questions or tell the whole backstory bobby uh, but we do at least uh, get some things answered and even a surprising admission about what randy gregory has been doing in his downtime away from football
3: joining us now is peter schaefer he is the president and founder of authentic athletics and he is the agent for one recently instated, Randy Gregory. You can follow him on Twitter, at Peter J. Schaefer. Peter, how are you doing?
4: Uh, well, I'm here in Colorado, and it was 95 degrees yesterday. It's snowing. And so it's my understanding, uh, because mostly mo- people that are now populating the mountains, towns of Colorado from Texas, that this is some way, this is something about their karma.
3: Just it. It they brought it to you guys, yeah. we They ruined the our
4: entire state, Yeah. You know? You can't go up the mountains because of all these people from Texas. You can't rent cars because they've rented all the cars. They're not wearing masks, and now it's snowing in September.
1: Listen, I lived in Denver, and I worked at Channel 7 News there for three years, and I had Texas license plates for my first two years, and I've never dealt with more obnoxious drivers on the road that reacted so negatively just because of my (laughs) Texas license plate. Like, it was very hostile for me to live there at times, Peter, so. Like I know they, all about Denver.
4: They say out here you can always tell someone from Texas. You just can't tell them much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> accurate.
4: <laughs> that's what they say out here. Yeah, there seems to be quite a rivalry. It's a shame that the uh, University of Colorado went to the Pac-12 because when Colorado-Texas, it was, it was a rivalry built on, you know, states and ge- geography, and that's what rivalries are all
3: about. Well, and I'll, I'll they, tell you what, uh, the, Texas would have beat Colorado in that Big Twelve title game at Texas Stadium had major Apple White been allowed to start the game instead of have to come in in the second half. So that, that in was fact,
1: my ex boyfriend was the quarterback at the time, Bobby Pascavento. Oh, no. <laughs> so I was always like, this, you know, kind of, it, it just didn't feel right dating him after all of that because I was like, you sort of eliminated my team, man, and if, you know, Colorado Bobby, of all Bobby, schools. Bobby's a
4: very nice. Guy.
1: That's so great guy, great guy. But enough about my personal life. Let's talk about Randy's that has been such a subject of fodder for so long. There's some stuff we can get into, Peter. I know there's some stuff we can't, but for people that didn't know what was going on behind the scenes, specifically with this latest chapter, what can you tell us that we weren't seeing out there about the links that Randy was was trying to go through to get in the league and some of the pushback that he was getting?
4: Well, you know, it's, it's always interesting to me that when someone gets suspended for, you know, alcohol or narcotics or in this case marijuana, that you know most companies like if you're working for ESPN and you've got an addiction problem, um, they get you help and you get treatment and you know you go to NA or AA at night but you keep your job, you keep your personality, you keep your sort of I am who I am, working, you feel like you're accomplishing something, providing for your family. The NFL says, okay, you're suspended, you can't go to the facility can't earn a living, and you can't play the sport that you love. All the while, you're supposed to be dealing with these addiction problems. And usually addiction problems, and, and I'm not a doctor, a psychiatrist, but being an agent long enough, you get, you get a few skins on the wall. Addiction comes from stress points in life, you know. Anxiety coming from are you successful, are you not successful, um, how are you perceived. And to take away people's financial wherewithal, building or living, and sort of, you know, mantra, you know, I'm a football player, and then still ask them to deal with addiction issues. That's tough now. And Randy had to do it all by himself, um, you know, since he saw me last summer, summer 19, early in the summer. It was really just he and I dealing with these issues, and, and a local counselor named Dr. Dina Hadazi.
1: I am curious for a lot of people that don't understand the uniqueness of, of Randy Gregory. and not to simplify it to this extent, but I think a lot of fans just think this is a guy that's got a pot problem and can't follow the rules. Can you clarify what is the struggle for Randy Gregory and and without giving too much away from patient (laughs) client confidentiality,
4: what are some of the the stuff? We've already got into this. I live in Colorado, so what's a pot problem? In Colorado, a pot problem is when they're charging too much per ounce at the local dispensary where it's legal to buy. That's a pot problem out here. So, you know, I think that some of the issues – and I don't smoke marijuana. I've got two, you know, teenage kids, and when you have teenage kids in Colorado, you have to deal with this thing head on. You know, it's not something that you can put in the back drawer because it's there. It's in the schools. You drive to school. The logos, the green logos, you can buy marijuana as easy as you can buy beer in this state, maybe even easier. So – Used to have a pot problem like, you know, it's 30 years ago and they're putting people in jail for life for having, you know, ounce bags of weed. Here it's legal. It's it's part of the social fabric of our society out here in Colorado. And so I don't know if there is a pot problem, right? I think that people sometimes get used to it, just like you know, you go home and have a glass of wine, or you know, Bobby, you you have a, a glass of tequila, whatever you know your flavor of the night is. And so. I don't know if it's a pot problem. The problem becomes when someone like the league says you can't do it and you still do it. Okay. Cause that is, becomes a barrier to entry or um, the reason, you know, that they're, they're requiring it. and the union NFLPA has allowed the league to suspend players as part of the collective bargaining process. I think that Randy's has never been, a, you know, I don't know if you can even be addicted to marijuana. I'm not that kind of doctor. Um, I have a book. You'll have to find it on the whole testing process of marijuana, it's called You're in Trouble. One of the greatest titles of any book, You're in Trouble. It talks about uh, marijuana testing. So I think that, but his issues really have been dealt with so that he's not smoking marijuana now because that would keep him or preclude him from playing in the league. A lot of it came from a social anxiety situation he's had. Just because you're famous and a celebrity doesn't mean you're comfortable in, in public.
3: When you look at, uh, we, we saw Randy expressing before the reinstatement that he, he had a lot of frustration with uh, the logistics and, and a lot of the hurdles that were seemingly in place for him to get back. Uh, I believe that was sometime in July that he had talked about that. Um, what were some of those issues, and, and were they just, was there miscommunication there? Were there things you had to fight the league on? What, what was happening with that?
4: Well, without, you know, breaching confidentiality, you know, obviously there's a pandemic going on and there were some logistics involved in drug testing that had to be ironed out to get so players can test. You know, when you have a drug test, whether it's for the, you know, every player does it at training camp or during the off season when testers come to a player, person's house, Normally, you know, they they interact. Well, now you have a pandemic, and so what are the rules? How can you collect a sample of someone that's outside the bubble so that the tester doesn't bring the virus into the player and or the player doesn't normally put the tester health at risk? So those are some of the issues that took some time for the league and and us and, and, and the union to work out so that everybody was safe. So there were a bunch of sort of unique circumstances surrounding not just Randy, but other players and the program and COVID.
1: What was this about Randy having a hard time getting a a hold of the Players Association? In other words, looking for their backing. He was pretty public about his frustrations. And ultimately, it looks like the two sides were able to talk at some point in order to, to get this approved by the league. Walk us through what was going on with that.
4: Well, you know, without going into too many details, ultimately, uh, D. Murray Smith, uh, the executive director of the union, and uh, J.C. Tretter, who's president of the union, you know, stood up for Randy with Roger Goodell and Jeff Ash and Todd Jones at the NFL and Kevin Manera. And we all got on sort of the same page. And I think that when the NFL saw that, uh, you know, D. D and, and J.C. were behind Randy, and that's because of the great steps that Randy's made towards, you know, rehabilitating himself and, and getting to be in a good place in his life. And um, that I think that that had a great effect on changing the NFL league office's perception and and, and saying, okay, we should give this guy another chance.
3: There was a, a an issue that had been reported after the 2018 season, after the suspension had occurred. There were these reports about the Cowboys were trying to, You know sign Randy to some sort of an extension or do something to roll him some bonus money and and that never got clarified as to whether that was allowed or not what's the exact status of Randy's contract right now is it how much is left on that I know some of its told at some point but how much is left on his contract is he restricted free agent at the end of that deal where does that stand right now
4: we're working uh, through the contract right now uh, with Adam and and Todd Williams at the Cowboys and now that's not gonna be an issue he's he's gonna be a cowboy hopefully for his entire career.
1: Jerry hopes so. I mean, Jerry certainly has done his work to keep him in the building. Well, you know, and at
4: some point, you know, Jerry deserves to get every home field advantage uh, because of the fact that he has, you know, stuck with. And I think that Jerry has a track record. You know, Uh, you look what he's doing with Josh Price Brent. I mean, you know, he gets a very unfortunate situation, and Jerry hired him as a scout, and – Game him a chance now because of Josh's work ethic and track record and a lot of stuff. He's earned the right to stay there, but Jerry, you know, he's, he's very misunderstood. And I think that the people that know him, you know, know he's a great businessman and know he's always out for the Cowboys, but gosh, he is pretty loyal to, to his players. And if he tell if he if he puts his arm around you, that's it. You, you better live up to him putting his arm around you because gonna take care of you if you take care of him.
1: Well, and as he also cautioned uh, reporters about Ezekiel Elliott, he's earned the right, correct? (laughs) But we have certainly seen that. What I wanted to ask you too is, I did love seeing Josh Brent being referenced in Randy Gregory's uh, process. What did Josh Brent have to do? And if a lot of people don't recall some of the fans, Josh Brent, of course, uh, involved in the DUI that led to the death of his teammate. his teammate's mother wished for the Cowboys to support him and help him rehabilitate his life despite it all. And to your point, it looks like he's done a very solid job. He had one setback two years ago at a Wendy's. Uh, But with that being said, you know, I I think it's been a positive influence having the Cowboys around him. How has he been a positive influence for Randy?
4: Josh is is an outstanding person. He he definitely made a tragic mistake and, he's more than paid for and he will probably pay for it for the rest of his life. But I think surrounding Randy with people like that is, is what's putting Randy in a really good place. It just can't be surrounding himself with me. You know, nobody would want to talk to me every day and certainly nobody would want me to be their psychologist or counselor. That, that, that's not going to end well. Uh, I'm not that type of warm and fuzzy kind of guy that you want to be, you know, given all your problems to, but, You know, like his counselor, Dr. Hadazi, is doing a wonderful job, Josh. um, I just think that surround yourself with good people. The more good people you surround yourself with, uh, the better chance you have to succeed, whether you have problems going in or or not. You know, a lot of these young men go into this league with, you know, their eyes wide open, and they get, you know, we talked about earlier, they get hit by a two-by-four from all different directions. So when you surround yourself with good people, you increase your odds
3: of succeeding. What is it that... Rand, I I think there's some confusion over this. everybody knows that there's gonna reach a how come, up, come up,
4: he's the only one wearing a headset?
3: <laughs> I I know it's
1: look, I'm, I've got I've got the fancy setup yeah. here, man.
3: She's she's what? NFL network there. She's got the lav mic and I've the got, piece and it's
1: like I got a home cam just like our, our insider boys.
3: Exactly. Oh, really? Yeah, so she she's big time. That's it. She's just one of these one percenters and whatever. So, I so, set I just, up my home cam. That's it.
1: So. Mine is mine is a home cam on a budget, but yes, that's why he's got the family. <laughs> he's the radio guy. I'm the TV girl, so we're kind of representing the two yeah. genres here.
4: Just right, to, I just, I'm just wondering why, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I got the short end of the technology. So,
1: well, Peter, you've got a good lighting in there. This is better than some of the lighting that we've had with our guest.
3: Well, this
4: is all natural lighting here in Colorado.
3: It's it looks the reflection great. from the snow, the piles of snow. It's just, it just beaming it's, some white in there.
4: It's coming out the window. I can see it now. It's crazy.
3: Number <laughs> eight. So I think everybody has seen that Randy's allowed to return to practice. I think it's October 5th. Uh, he's allowed to play again week seven. What is it he's allowed to do right now? And and what limitations are there in his involvement with the team right now?
1: Well, no, and he- to piggyback off that, Peter, because the one thing that's been coming up is why this arbitrary date of week seven is when he can re- rejoin the team. Can you explain the acclimation process too? Well,
4: I can't explain it, that, the rationale for the dates, but I can't, you know, that's up the, you know, the wizard. But I, right now, you know, the key is for him to get in shape. He's in good shape, but get in football shape, learn the new system, get with the coaches, um, you know, understand the whole COVID system, You know, and, and be ready to go uh, for that sixth game. And that's the plan. I, mean, I know he was at the facility today. They got him working out every day. He's in meetings. And he's doing whatever, uh, you know, the league is allowing him to do and he's monitoring very carefully. You know, when, whenever you're playing for Coach Tom you know, social distancing was always in play with him because, I mean, he just – he's sweating and spitting anyway. I mean, no, nobody wanted to get within six feet of him
1: before COVID. So it's so funny you say that because – I one thousand percent noticed that the other day through my binoculars because they keep us so far away, Peter. And of course, the fans aren't getting to see much with some of these tight shots. But that is something fun to watch. Okay, so he is allowed in the building. He's able to lift. He's in the meeting rooms. He's right. just not allowed to play right, right. now. Got right. it.
3: So, so practice and playing—that is literally the only limitations he has. And otherwise, take right. part in anything else.
1: Right. I mean, if you think about it,
4: part of it had to do. Part of it has to do with sort of what the union talked about, the, the, you know, the 14 days before they can put pads on. And, then you're talking, and those are talking about players that haven't played for eight months. Randy hasn't played for 18 months. So, you know, we're just trying to monitor it, make sure that when he comes back, you know, when you go in the NFL, people might like say you go from zero to 100. I like to say you go from zero to any 500. You're going – forget about 100. You're going zero to 220 right away. When you've got to go against guys like Tyron Smith, 330 pounds and – He's trying to, you know, put you on your rear end. You better be in shape. You better be ready to go because you're going to be pretty sure the next day. You know, it's funny because I, I, I play lacrosse, even and my son plays lacrosse.
1: I see that, yeah, the stick. That's the Twitter profile,
3: yeah. He, he's in full game mode on, on his Twitter profile. Oh, yeah. Too. But
1: we hadn't played
4: because of COVID for eight months, even as, a you know, in the men's leagues. And uh, the, our national tournaments were canceled. And I went out and played in July, the first game. And I, I was in pretty good shape you working out and running every day. But I'll tell you something. That first game, I came home at noon after playing. I couldn't get off, off the couch. It was just, you know, playing games. And that's just mensly. Forget about what, what do you think in the NFL. And we're going to see it this Sunday, I think, in the games. You better have players on pitch counts. And these players are going to be – they're going to be wiped out after. They have not played at that intensity level. In, in nine months, and you can't replicate it in camp and you can't replicate it in practice. This thing is going to be – it's going to be interesting. And I I'll guarantee you there's going to be some tremendous comebacks this weekend because teams are going to – they're going to run out of gas a lot faster than they normally did. You might be up by 21 going to the fourth quarter, and then coaches are going to try to put, push up, put their foot on the pedal, and there ain't going to be no gas left.
1: Now, I know when the first time he came back, a lot of people were skeptical that he wasn't going to be in playing shape, and he had a pretty dynamic start coming back. I mean, Bobby, you're the staff's guy. It was it was a good comeback, was yeah, it not?
3: I yeah, mean, he, he hit the last half of the season. He generated more sacks and quarterback hits than DeMarcus Lawrence did for the team. There but you go. He, he definitely hit his stride quickly.
1: And so, but what we had heard was before he came back that time around, he had been working, had a job. And so I'm curious, what has he been doing to make money? Because I think the miss conception is that these guys they enter the league and you know their bank accounts are, are flush with cash His is obviously because of the stop start and you know because of some of the, the fees that come along with some of this he's not cash flush and then you know we have a guy like alden smith who was working out you know at unbreakable performance with jay glazer and then brandon tucker here in dallas what is his what has he been doing away from the field peter
4: well randy's uh had a uh... Um, a son was born last thing, October. Uh, he's been working, uh, some jobs worked at Amazon, um, in a distribution center and he's been working out religiously every day. And it's the That's hardest awesome. thing in the world to work out every day on your own, to prepare to play in the NFL. And so, like I said, it's tough to go from 24 hour fitness to, to the, to the star overnight. So there'll be a little affirmation period, but he's ready to go. And, uh, He's excited. I think he's in a great place. I'm excited for when you guys get to interview him and see, you'll see a totally different person. And we were going to
1: have him today, but of course the Cowboys want to have the PR uh, splash and, and I'm cool with that. Uh, but I, I got to ask you when you guys got the, the green light, because I know you guys were, were, were getting frustrated there uh, a couple weeks ago. How did it make, Randy feel and how did it make you feel to know that you've been there with him this last year trying to get this thing going for him knowing here's a guy that's been working at Amazon he's been working out at the 24-hour fitness he just wants another chance
4: you know I think there is a sense of satisfaction that you're able to help someone achieve a dream and, and uh, get back to where they were and and those are the phone calls you know that, that as an agent that you you, you know you, you enjoy making there are two types you also get the phone call Hey, you got to tell your player he's been released or that type of deal. You know, you get the phone call in the draft. You're about to be drafted by the Cowboys. You're about to be whatever. You know, that's, those are great calls. And so getting the letter on the email uh, Friday and, you know, first of all, when you get the letter, the NFL always sends the letter as an attachment. So it's sort of like now you have to unwrap the present or the bow, and it could be either the thumbs up or the thumbs down letter. So you – You're like, all right, I got the letter. Now I got to open it up. And you never know what it says until you open it up. And this one, you know, was a positive letter. And you're like, all right, uh, I now get to call Randy and, uh, you know, tell him. And after having talked to him, you know, one, two, three times a day for the last year, he did not – he wasn't expecting the letter to have come. There's no – you know, you don't get a letter – you don't get a text saying, okay, the letter's coming on Friday. You know, Sometimes you think it's coming on money and it doesn't come for two weeks. So the letter came, and I'm like, I read it. And I'm like, all right, you know, I'm going to call, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call Randy. And then so we decided, you know, and he was excited, and, you know, you can hear him whooping and hollering in the background. And, you know, that's always a joy to, to hear, and that's a satisfaction. And then we decided that we are you know, sort of going to tease, tease it a little. And so he was going to put a picture of him in a cowboy, you know, him playing with the Cowboys, and just put that up on Twitter and let that tease, and then all next thing you know, someone must have leaked it, because we started getting calls from media all over. But the idea was sort of We're sorry them. for
1: harassing you, Peter.
4: <laughs> yes, you, you, well, you didn't have the exclusivity on that. <laughs> I was not monogamous on Friday.
3: <sighs> so Peter, I gotta ask, because I know some people who watch it are gonna say, hey, wait, we, we left off that question there. Uh, But I'm curious, because you did reference there that um, when I asked about where his contract situation is right now, you said that you're working through things right now with Todd Williams, Adam uh, Pacifica, the Cowboy salary cap guy. Is that to get a handle on what exactly his contract status is, or are you saying that there's talks or or some sort of negotiations to try and potentially extend him?
4: Well, there's a lot of moving parts to a player that's still on his rookie deal in in what Tantamon do his seventh season, so... We're working through all that now. Uh, He only has two credited seasons. So he wouldn't even be a, uh, he would be a restricted free agent if he played this year next. So there's a lot of, there are a lot of moving parts, but we're working through that right now.
1: You know, we've only talked about probably 2% of this whole story and the saga. Um, Do you anticipate that one day, Randy's gonna tell the whole story?
4: I hope so. I hope so because I think that um, it'll give people a greater perspective on what he went through. I think it also could be beneficial to a lot of uh, younger players and uh, students, male and female, that are going through similar uh, anxiety issues and, and how to deal with them and, and what to do and what not to do. And um, you know, and, and maybe people around him to realize that he might be masking something and he does—he's crying out for help. And if we can help save some other people, um, you know, f- from these situations, then, then we've all done ourselves a service.
1: You know, before we let you go, uh, Ron Slavin, wait, wait, obviously. Wait, wait.
4: Let me go. I can't, ch- I can just
1: hit this <laughs> You can do right? this for wait, hours. Like, I'm gone. He's like, bye. Now you guys so. see what we deal with some of these agents for those watching on YouTube, guys like this guy. So I wanted to ask you with Alden Smith, uh, we had Ron Slavin on a couple of weeks ago after his reinstatement. And he talked about being personally invested in, making sure that you know everything, he stays on the level, that the you know alcohol is not an issue and, and he is heavily involved in his life and there is a structure in place to, to, to make so sure that-
4: Ron's drinking the alcohol
1: for all of them? It wouldn't shock me, quite frankly. No, uh, no he's a good man, no, he's a good man. In all, all but in all seriousness, what are some of the mechanics in place to make sure that there's some structure for Randy as well? Because I, I got to imagine, that we're on the last leg here, as it relates to the comeback story that is Randy Gregory. As one coach told me, once you get out of the league, it's really hard to get back in. Do you kind of feel like this is his last go? I don't.
4: I don't, I don't think like that in any part of my life. It's, I try to. You know, we've been through a lot up here, and we just try to stay positive and think about what we can do moving forward. So I don't look at it like anything's the last. You know, you always. Was well, the expression "as long as there's time on the clock, you still have a chance to win"? So I, I never look at it like that. I think that you know I think we have Randy. It starts with Randy, and if nobody's going to succeed in treatment or succeed in changing their lives or their or their patterns, unless they want to, and I think he definitely wants to. I think he's demonstrated that, and so that's what it all starts. And then uh, to put uh, you know pieces in place around him, uh, he's got to family, his parents have moved down to Dallas, they've got jobs down there. They've been great, you know, putting him around with Josh Price and, and, and you know, other mentors in the building, Brian Wonsley and, and Will McClay, uh, those guys. I mean, and then, you know, being around his teammates, like I said, Dr. Dazzi's fantastic, you know, and I, and I guess when he runs out of people to call, he picks the phone up and calls me. Or Bobby. Wow. Well, Bobby, you know it's a, you know maybe it's a coin toss, who knows? But so know, he is. So he, he is. Too,
1: but, well, I, I guess my question is: so he is still meeting with his psychiatrist, and will there be frequent? Counselor, how counselor. does the counselor? How does the drug testing work right now? Since they've sort of decriminalized it too?
4: Did you just go with the air quotes?
1: I did because <laughs> I mean it's it's not they it didn't criminalize it, but that's what I'm going to say here: decriminalized it.
4: Well, I think um, what, what you have is uh, the new policy started with new collective bargaining. And I wouldn't say it's decriminalized because it's never was criminalized. It, you know, The NFL couldn't put you in jail. But it has changed the, the threshold levels for positive tests. It's changed the possible punishment from suspensions to fines. Um, and, you know, so there's that involved. And that's part of the stuff that we're working through, too, with the league right now. It's not as simple as, you know, ABC or, you know, one, two, three, buckle my shoe, I think. So, there's definitely a lot in it. There's a lot in it for Alden and for all the players similarly situated. And, and you hope you – And know, one thing is, too, now, you send a guy to the Cowboys with these problems, they're going to give him every possible resource to succeed also. They're going – if he's going to see a counselor, there's no oh, – well, that's a problem. No, let him see a counselor. If – you know, they, the Cowboys and Jerry, you know, they get a lot of grief, but they they, they definitely support their players, you know, not just financially but emotionally uh, in, in every possible way they can.
1: Well, Peter, I appreciate your time. I know that you've been exceedingly busy lately. I'm sorry that Tom Pelissero and I drove you nuts during all of this, but I'm glad that there was some good news to report. And uh, I know Bobby and I both are really rooting for Randy.
3: What was that?
4: It wasn't Tom that was driving me nuts. <laughs> I don't know why he would get thrown on the bus. I think that was I think that was uh, yeah. That was deflecting someone else's issues.
1: <laughs> You're the best, Peter. Thank you so I, I much for jumping don't on don't the show. That,
4: I appreciate being on your show, Bobby, and, and and anytime you want, just give me a holler.
3: Joining us now is Michael Gelkin. Michael writes for the Dallas Morning News. You can follow him on Twitter at GelkinNFL. Uh, Michael, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. How y'all doing? Doing great. So you know, we everybody's got the niche on the beat, right? So you've got John Mashoda as Mr. Like iPhone videos, and uh, it's always like uh, David Moore is first question at every press conference. And then now, two years in a row, we've established that like Michael Galkin is Mr. Cutdown Day and is going to have like all the Cutdown Day details. So, and uh, I just
1: don't have the energy to I, keep it's, up it's with all of these obscure guys. So credit to you, Galkin.
3: <laughs> it's it's a lot to it's a lot to go through. But looking at the Cutdown Day, uh, what I guess surprised you the most, and and what takeaways do you think you had from obviously not the initial 53 when they were doing some you know logistical moveery, you know maneuvering there, but what are your overall takeaways of the roster they ended up with?
0: Um, surprises. I would say of all the undrafted rookies who were waived, Francis Bernard was probably the biggest surprise, but even to constitute a surprise, you somewhat kick yourself because I remember you, know, you see a certain flash moments during training camp and you you ask Mike McCarthy about Bernard and he speaks so highly about him. And you start to think, okay, this, 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 this young guy from from Utah, he's got, he's got a real chance of, of making this 53. And then, you know, you see the moments that maybe aren't quite as sharp, and then you ask him, you know, a couple days before cut-down day, you know, what kind of work are you see on special teams? And he says he's on punt, he's on punt return, he's on kickoff, he's on kickoff return. Okay, well, what screen are you in? I'm on second string. Well, if you're an undrafted rookie linebacker trying to make this 53-man roster, you shouldn't be on second string special teams. That kind of should tell him something and, and really tell us something. So – Um, probably more surprised than I felt I should have been, um, once you kind of piece everything together. Um, but yeah, not, not a ton of surprises. I thought if anything, this Cowboys roster reduction really showed how savvy I think this front office is when rather than having to, you know, wave a a young player, like maybe a Sean McCune, you know, tight end out of Michigan who they really like as a fourth tight end. You know, if you waive him, you risk losing him to another team. You risk losing him on waivers. So they keep a guy like that and then release Justin March and they release, you know, these these veterans, Joe Thomas, uh, C.J. Goodwin, with these little kind of silent little agreements. not silent. They talk about beforehand, like, hey, we're going to cut you. You're a vested veteran. You're not going to go on waivers. We're not going to lose you. Uh, You hang tight. Don't leave town. We're cutting you on Saturday. You'll be back on the roster by Monday morning you uh, will be back on the roster on Sunday. So I just thought they did a really nice job navigating uh, everything that comes with cross reductions and all the rules associated with waivers. So uh, those are some of my, my bigger takeaways.
1: How about Lel Collins? We kept being told there was nothing going on with him, right? And yeah. we are told it's an in-shape issue. And then now he's got an injury. Like, what are you hearing about him? I didn't think that was interesting that now all of a sudden he's, he's IR.
0: Yeah, well, he, he's certainly injured right now. I think one of the confusions, uh, points of confusion early on is that we heard that there's multiple things going on with Lyle, and, and there was some conditioning aspects to the situation where they felt like, you know, to, to, not saying it's the only thing going on with Lyle, but conditioning was, was part of it, and there wasn't any details about anything beyond that. And so – um certainly would have been an opportunity to kind of point us to you know an injury there. And it's a hip issue that will keep him out for at least the first few weeks of the season, which is unfortunate, uh, not only for Lyell, uh, but obviously the Cowboys. I mean, what a dominant season that was for him last year coming off the big contract. So we all know what Lyell Collins can do when healthy. It's a huge loss to go from him to anyone else in terms of drop-off. Uh, but we'll see what Cam Irving can bring on Sunday night against the Rams.
1: And staying with that line – We talked to Mike McCarthy about this uh, in one of our press conferences about Sean Lee. I mean, he hasn't gotten hardly any interaction with him, uh, certainly not on the football field. Obviously, he's been able to watch him from afar. He even went so far as to say he was a fan of him when he was in high school. Are you surprised the Cowboys continue to stick it out with Sean Lee? I I think if you cover this team and you cover Sean, it's not that big of a stretch, but to the fans, Fans might wonder why they continue holding on to him, who just after he was healthy last year, what a bummer for this guy to once again have a camp break. he's injured.
0: Yeah. Well, I think the game has changed so much over the past several years where, you know, look at the Rams, for example. They're going to be in 11 personnel, one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers for, I would say, expectation would be almost three-quarters of this game. And so you're not going to be in your base defense, which means you're not going to have Sean Lee as healthy, even on the field. It's going to be Jalen Smith and it's going to be Leighton Van Der Esch. And so with the way that the game has changed, you know, having that third linebacker, ideally, it would be someone who plays a lot more special teams than Sean Lee provides. And so that's not to dismiss that point, but you know, overall, you know, he's a guy who we've seen, I think it was against the Rams last year uh, where he, he had an incredible game um, he, he, can, he can step in with you. He's great. You he can step in uh, when you need him to. Uh, he's shown um, he, when he's healthy. Um, he's great in your room. He's essentially like a coach and you know, he's been phenomenal for those young guys. I mean, some of the young guys in the defense are willing to learn from him. and They do other ones, you know, over the course of the time as they maybe develop more and mature more, they kind of see the value of what it's like to have a guy like Sean Lee in your locker room. Um, I, I think, him to do um i think overall he, he brings a lot to the organization and that's not to say he's not without his shortfalls um, with again special teams being among them but um yeah I, I think the team could do a lot worse for its third linebacker who won't see the field unless the team's in you know base or heavy personnel
1: i'm just wondering when they're going to make him sort of a kellen Moore in the building right like at some point are we going to see that from sean lee but to your point i think especially after seeing him play last year uh it was one of his better years it is a little bit hard to to ties with them, even with it being a new coaching staff. Sorry, Bobby. Just wanted to just chime in there no, real quick. Uh,
3: it's it's and continuing on that line of thinking, I guess, in terms of like how valuable he is, particularly as a locker room presence, which is something you just mentioned there. I think that last year, a lot of us were in agreement that, and I know this was your first year on the Cowboys beat, but a lot of us were in agreement that that was one of the best Cowboys rosters from a talent perspective that we had seen in a long time. And there was no doubt the amount of talent that they had. They were, in the games that they were winning, they were beating teams down oftentimes. Um, I, I think everybody in the end kind of looked at it and said there were potentially some chemistry issues or some leadership issues that were really at play there that kind of explain why such a talented team went 8-8. Eight and eight. Um, How much do you think that is the biggest question, I guess, for them heading into this season is is the chemistry and the leadership questions rather than the talent questions.
0: Well, I don't think talent anymore is the question. Honestly, I think last year, I mean, everything I heard upon arrival on the beat was just how talented the Cowboys were. But I think that might not have been totally true. I think they were not talented enough on special teams, for example. I mean, they were abysmal there. Um, they just were really, really shorthanded in some key areas and they showed up again and again. And you know, that New England game comes to mind where you have an organization in the Patriots that just invests so much on special teams. You have so many guys who do almost nothing else on that roster except special teams. They specialize as specialists and the Cowboys went up in a really yucky weather type of a game. And the only touchdown, I believe that was scored that game was off of a, was it a block punt or something along the lines? It was a total special teams breakdown, and that was that was the difference um, with their all pro, you know, guy coming in and, and blocking it. So I know I feel like ta- the talent of the, of the of the roster construction overall over the course of the year proved itself not to be what was hoped. I do think the talent is better this year. I think the offense is at another level with the depth that the receiving core provides. Um, I think Tony Pollard being another year. I, them trying to figure out ways to use him and Zeke in unison, I think it's going to be really fun to see how creative they get there. Um, the t- tight end group with Blake Jarwin, you know, he adds a different dynamic from an athleticism standpoint. So uh, not so overlooked questions on the offensive line, uh, was certainly Travis Berg's loss, even if you're a Joe Looney fan, uh, which I think you have reason to be, uh, you know, this is still nonetheless a, a huge loss uh, from what he brings from a mental standpoint to that, to that unit. Um, but defensively, I think they're going to be, up to be able to get after the quarterback a lot more effectively, even with questions about Alden Smith and what we're getting here in 2020 after the long layoff. Every single person as a rotational guy, this is what he is right now. Um, they, should, they should really wreak havoc. So um, talent, I think, is better this year. Uh, I don't have questions there. Maturity, I think it's, I think it's better, too. Uh, I think the, there was a bit of identity crisis last year where, you know, I don't want to I'm not gonna, I don't want to single anyone out, and so so I won't. Um, but I think when you look at you know there there were times last season where twelve men are on the field and, and, and uh, as a defense and they don't call a timeout and they, or uh, part of me was that they had ten men on the field they remain short on defense and they don't they don't they don't, uh, uh, they, they don't call a timeout and then they give up a huge screenplay against the Vikings I believe. Yep. Um, and then it was you know Jalen Smith week sixteen a critical game against the Eagles. He, uh, as a Mike linebacker, is relaying all the play calls to his teammates, and you know was supposed to be a man or a zone. Instead, he tells, you know, he mixes up uh, with he mixes it up to teammate Malcolm Smith, and it's a huge play and the biggest game of the year. Um, I just don't think the leadership uh, again, which isn't dependent on one player, but I just think overall the leadership was, was really organic. It seemed forced. You know, Michael Bennett shows up in a mid-season trade, and he's the loudest guy in your locker room, um, there just seemed to be times where it, that, that, it just didn't feel like a playoff-caliber team. And golly, they had every opportunity to be a playoff-caliber team in such a weak division. And the fact that they squandered it, I think, tells you about a bit about their talent, and I think it tells you about their chemistry as well. I, I have higher hopes this year based on, you know, Leighton Vanderesh being the Mike linebacker and Jalen is just such a more natural will. I mean, he had incredible training camp. I mean, he's probably, I mean, if you're asking me the first, after the first week of training camp, that's the best week of practice I've seen from an off ball linebacker in my career. And he was just so disruptive in the passing game and just all over the field. He was just sideline to sideline truly. So long answer to a good question, Bobby, but I, I, I think the the talent and the chemistry for me Having been around it now for this is year two and having something of a frame of reference, I think both arrows are pointing in the right direction.
1: Your impressions of camp so far, because I have covered this team for—I mean, I think this will be my seventh year, uh, well, eight, not nine, ninth year—and there's been a couple of coaches here while I've been uh, covering this beat. What has stood out to me was one, no music in practice, save for the water breaks, but. We're not seeing Mike McCarthy doing jumping jacks with the team. It just doesn't seem like they're sort of this. I always felt they were putting on a show with the stretching exercises. And it's not to, this is not a slap in the face of Jason Garrett, but even just the way they get to work. I mean, it is, it is so intentional to me. It is fundamentally sound to me. And then we keep talking about taking the ball away. I mean, that applies even to the offense, not getting the ball taken away from offensive players. What's been your impression of just, camp observations under this new regime
0: yeah, i think the it's been interesting to see the way that mike mccarthy manages a practice which is that if the quarterbacks are doing something he's not necessarily right there um, he might be off to the side talking to bull mcclay talking to stephen jones talking to jerry jones talking to you know just some of the brain trust that the cowboys have and just taking that C CEO approach to being a football coach, he's he's very hands off. Um, I didn't necessarily know what to expect one way or the other, but you know, that's that's a little unlike what I've I've seen in, in the past. Um, so I think that's probably one of the biggest takeaways from a pure big picture standpoint. I mean, if you're going more micro, I mean that's probably the worst offensive tackle play I've seen. I um, mean um, it was ridiculous watching, you know, Wyatt Miller try to stop DeMarcus Lawrence. Every- Every day, I mean, great experience for for Wyatt, uh, who's no longer with the team, be it 53-man roster or practice squad. Um, but yeah, you know, maybe he might be on IR with yeah. mine. But um, yeah, you just um, I, I think that was really eye-catching with with this camp. I mean, it was I was really eager to evaluate Alden Smith and um, you know Bradley and Nye and you know some of those ed, edge guys. Um, but I thought it was really difficult because Nye was highly disruptive, but he was. What he should be when going up against, you know, a guy from Mexico who's playing American football, professional football for the first time, and is going to be part of the international player pathway program. I mean, you know, I, I, how much do you read into a, a nice dominance when, when that's kind of the level of competition, which is not at all a slight to that offensive tackle, but it's just a re, or being realist with where, where those offensive tackles' experience level at, at this camp.
1: And I also thought, I don't know if this was Mike McCarthy being sneaky or more to the, the substitution that he likes, the flexibility, the, the diversity he likes uh, with some of his position groups. I never got a really good feel for who was with the ones, who's, who were with the twos. I, for me, it was hard to track practice because I felt like he was mixing it up so much. Am I missing out on something? Did you see something different?
0: No, there was a lot of fluidity, I would agree. I wonder how much of that was some of the stuff that you normally you would do in the spring and during – the- That's
1: what I, I – I don't have a handle on it. So that's why it's kind of yeah. – Is that going to obviously be different when we can't watch three hours of practice? We're only going to get to watch 30 minutes this week.
0: Yeah, I, I, I have no doubt that, especially now that we're in game week, you know, the ones we work with the ones, the twos, the twos, and the threes will barely see the field. Those will just be given ones and maybe even twos will look, mostly the ones. Um – I think the secondary was probably the most fluid position group that we saw, and some of that is just because they really want to cross train these guys. And so we saw, you know, Daryl Worley, who's played a little bit of safety uh, in this league, uh, see a good amount of reps. You know, they moved Reggie Robinson from corner to safety, and you know, they talked about doing something similar with Cheeto, but then he got hurt, and so I think that limited their, you know, them doing so. Uh, I wonder if some of that is just maybe COVID reasons where you just don't know when you're going to lose a guy. But I think it might just be coming down to basic principles of how this coaching staff wants their secondary to operate, where you hear about your offensive line, you want to cross-train it so that if you lose one of your five, The guy that steps in, you'll still have your best five offensive linemen on the field. They almost seem to be taking that sort of same offensive line approach with their secondary. Or if we're in our base defense and we're going to have our four defensive backs on the field, we want our best four DBs to be on the field. Our nickel, our best five, and dime our best six. And so there's all this mixing and matching, I think, that might be true to that theory, that philosophy.
3: You know, uh, we talk about the differences, some of the stark differences, I guess, that have come when we look at training camp going from Jason Garrett to Mike McCarthy. Uh, one thing that seems to have been held over from Jason Garrett to Mike McCarthy is just complete muddiness and, and a lack of clarity about Amari Cooper's health um, <laughs> since they, neither one of them ever seemed to want to give us a straight answer about whether or not he was healthy when it seemed pretty obvious that he was hurt. He, in fact, we'll play a clip real quick of, of his answer last week when Calvin Watkins and Claire Hill asked him about it.
1: How you
4: guys have handled the thought process of how you've handled uh, Amari Cooper's snaps and practice in the last two or three uh, days?
2: Well, I mean, it's just like any player. I mean, there's, there's there's mathematical information that goes into you know where we think they are individually. You know, what we're trying to accomplish as a you know as a position. You know, what, what conceptually, uh, the things that. He's done with the quarterback's particular DAC. So I mean, all, all those things go into account. Uh, the wear and tear on on each pay, player is is factored into that. I mean, it's you know Amari is, is uh, the most experienced receiver of our group. So I mean, that that's part of the that's part of the equation. So I mean, it's, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a reason why coaches work the hours and um, the support staff works work the hours that they do, and um, so it's. It's all done for a reason.
3: So there's no injury there, no injury going on with him at all. Or worry about an injury.
2: I mean, it's training camp. You know, everybody has you know a little bit of something. So I, I just think it's you know once again where where every every player is, Amari, uh, you know all the guys. So I mean, it's uh, it's a part of really why you know today with with the, with the weather and you know. Not wanting to practice on turf, you know, consecutively like we have been. Uh, we have the new field now, so these are all these are all you know examples of, of why, why you formulate a plan and you have the ability to adjust it. So, yeah, I, it's I, I feel very good about where Amari is, but you know, he's, if he needs to take less reps, or you know, once again, these are all things that are communicated between a strength coach a trainer the position coach so uh, a lot goes into this
3: okay so looking at that answer that he gives to is Amari Cooper healthy it it seems like a pretty straightforward question that didn't get much of a straightforward answer where do you think Amari Cooper is health-wise and and why do you think it is we're going on about a year now of just unclear answers from the Cowboys as a whole about where Amari Cooper is with his health
0: yeah it's a great question my read on the situation is kind of developed, I think, with it. When McCarthy starts talking about, you know, math and, you know, he's, he's kind of a vague explanation as to what the situation was, I was thinking, well, let's see, every NFL team has these trackers and their shoulder pads that tells them how much a player is moving and how many, how many how many miles he's traveling and all those sorts of measurables. So maybe they're trying to keep Amari fresh for the season because, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, wear on that tire over the course of camp. they trying to keep, keep him fresh. And then he keeps missing practice. And then he's working with the trainer to the side with the resistance cords. And it's very clear that Amari Cooper has some measure of an injury.
1: And Michael, he's not that much older than Michael Gallup. And we didn't see a ton of Amari Cooper at times last year. So I'm sitting there going wear and tear on the, the tires. I'm a little confused on that one. Michael right. Thomas isn't getting limited in New Orleans. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, see, tear.
0: yeah I, think the, I think one of the things that Amari needs to show this season, he signed a, 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 a huge contract that essentially is a two-year deal, though, when you really look at the way that it's structured, where it's, it's 2020, it's 2021, and then 2022, the Cowboys have a decision to make. Not only with Amari Cooper, because they can get out of his deal with minimal, negligible amount of dead money, uh, but they also have Michael Gallup and his contract expiring that same offseason. So that's kind of where we're all pointing to, is that we have these three wide receivers that on paper are fantastic. They want to get 1,000 yards, each of them together this off, this season, and they very well could if it's a 16-game year. But... Amari has to show something still, you know, by by nature of his contract, by nature of the time that he spent in this league, he should be the most established of the wide receivers. He should have be the one with the fewest number of question marks associated with them. I've covered Amari who I respect the heck out of uh, as a person and and as a player too. I have covered him now with the Cowboys going into year two, but I also covered him some with the Raiders and there is a commonality to what I've, I've been able to see, uh, which is that it's difficult sometimes to explain what's going on with Amari Cooper. Um, it's he's one of the, he's been one of the more perplexing players that I've covered because there are t- games where he just terrorizes a secondary. He is a game wrecker. He can at any point in the season he's capable of going off for 200 yards. He's shown that, but there are the stretches that come between where you scratch your head and wonder, you know, what happened to the other Amari Cooper? And the best explanation that has been provided to me along the way of, you know, asking questions about what's going on is that, you know, I'm trying to be careful because I want to, you know.
3: Diplomatic, sure. But, yeah, there's – there were games
0: last season where third down, a critical third down, or critical fourth down, and, you know, you want, you want your best players on the field. I mean, it's like backyard football. You know, if, if, if the game's on the line, you know, you want the tallest kid down the street on the corner to be on the field and, and just run up and go get it. And, you know, you want to turn to your best.
1: Cowboys-Eagles on the road, Michael.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and, and Amari's not on the field. He's on the sideline. And we asked him about it afterward, and – he said that he was pulled, I think he was said he said, um, from the game, like, you know, there was part of the rotation. And he was asked, and I thought this is probably the best most timely question I've ever seen be posed to Amari. Well, shouldn't you say, No, I'm I'm staying on that field? Like, refuse to be pulled off that field? And there are guys I've covered, you know, like Keenan Allen of the Chargers, he's got a dog mentality about him, which is one of the best qualities that you can a player has. He's just got a dog mentality. I think wide receivers, some guys have a dog mentality where they're going to scrap, they're going to fight, they're just going to. If it's a critical third down and they're lining up in the slot going against the best nickel corner in the league, and it's an inside, you know, slant, and the guy's got inside leverage, he's still going to find a way to get to his spot so that the quarterback can hit him and they can convert and keep the chains going and stay on the field. That's the dog mentality. I think one thing that we need to watch this season, and one thing I think the Cowboys surely are watching over the next two years before their decision, is is a dog is a dog there. Like, does he have that dog mentality? Because I think CD's got CD's a dog. Um, I, I, I'm pretty sure Michael Gallup's a dog based on what we've seen. And,
1: and Gallup's a dog in a different way, don't you think, Gelkin? Like, it's not. I don't know what a dog him.
0: he is, but I'm saying he's a dog.
1: Right, but what, I, what, I, what I'm saying about him is people don't see, like, this um, – the characteristic we typically see in what you're alluding to with the wide receiver, like like Michael Irvin is what you think of when you think of a brash, confident wide receiver in Dallas. With Gallup, he just really wants to – succeed. he's like the the kid that wants the, the the gold ribbon at the end of the game. Like, he wants – the pat on the head. He wants to get better. He wants to be involved. I think that's the thing that's always sort of stood out to me about Gallup. Whereas with Amari, it's like there's like this analytical. It's like this analytical, like almost like he like devoid of emotion. It's fascinating. He's like an yeah. anti wide receiver.
3: Right.
0: I think he. You know, we always talk about how he plays chess in the locker room. He's very analytical and that applies to the game. His personality there kind of somewhat we you know, approaches his routes and all that. Um, there, there comes a time where you just need to flip open or flip over the chessboard and just, you know, change the game. And I think that's what Amari, that's something that people want to see from him. Is just, and I, I don't think, like, he's, he's very well injured right now. And I'm not saying that that's what's happening in practice, why he's missing practice. And you know, we'll see, what you know, on the injury report this week, what he's got, what the ailment is and everything like that. But I think overall more broadly, um, that's probably, I think, the fairest criticism of Amari that, that you can make. Um, and we'll see how that shows itself to be. I think he's got lots of show still, and he's got – and there's no reason that this guy, you know, shouldn't post more yards than he already does. He's that talented. He's that good. He's that skilled. Uh, he's that nuanced and that fine-tuned in his route running. And he's, he's sensational in so many things that he does. Um, but I think it's, it's it's in within him to take his game to even another level, and we'll see whether or not he can he can do that this year. And maybe helps having such a crowded wide receiver chart where he doesn't need to be that – Quote unquote, one every single week. You know, that ball, there's only one of it. And so Dak's going to spread it around and, and we'll see how it all shakes out.
3: I think it's interesting. you referencing that Philly game and when, when he came out of, when he was at practice the next week and he got asked about it. And he said, you know, well, that's rotation. I got pulled. That's not up to me. And, and we asked questions around the building that week and it was, you know, said that Sanjay Law was in charge of the rotation. And there were times where it seemed like they butted heads sometimes. How much of the issues do you think we saw do you do you think there were issues is basically what I'm saying between that chemistry between Sanjay Lal and Amari Cooper that maybe explained away some of the issues we saw in the second half of last year
0: I I would be unqualified to really speak on it I, I would have to do some more legwork there um to, to, to say I mean the, the Cowboys chose not to bring Sanjay Lal back but I don't know if that's necessarily an indictment that I'd be willing to attach to that answer uh, I, I just don't know. I, I would be speaking out of turn. Uh, I think it's it's a fair question, but I, I I wouldn't be positioned to answer it.
1: To answer your question, Bobby, I've asked that very question. I never got the sense that um, there was problems between the two. I, I do think that Amari asks a lot of questions and wants answers to those questions. And I think sometimes when you try to provide those answers and they aren't enough, I think it can lead to frustration. But I never got the sense that it was these two didn't get along and this is why that, that didn't work. I mean, I mean, we saw the departure of Gary Brown and there were no issues with him and Ezekiel Elliott. So uh, I've got one more question for you, before you let you go, before we let you go. Every beat writer, unfortunately, can't take a day off because this Earl Thomas uh, to Dallas thing has lingered. I've been doing this before you got here on the Earl Thomas storyline. And quite frankly, it's exhausting. I've joked, that it's sort of the never ending story. You've got just as many sources in the building as I do. Can you put this to bed for the fans? In other words, that Earl Thomas interest is there or it isn't?
0: Well, the Cowboys had interest. There was initial interest. I think anytime a seven-time Pro Bowler becomes available at your greatest position of need, you're going to talk about it. The issue, of course, with Earl Thomas, I think it's probably twofold. Uh, one, Is he a true seven-time Pro Bowler in form in terms of is that what you're going to get, a guy who's today a a Pro Bowler? And then, you know, whatever that's worth, I realize set aside Pro Bowl voting. Um, But number two, the Baltimore Ravens and the Seattle Seahawks are two of the finest run organizations in football. Uh, From a personnel department standpoint, you'd be hard-pressed to find two more respected front offices than those. Seahawks had him while he was playing at an elite level. And at, one, at some point along the way, decided, you know, it's, it's time to part ways. Baltimore Ravens pick him up, take a look at, again, skill set, and then maybe the other part of what a player is in terms of your locker room and your building. Decided this isn't worth keeping uh, on, our, on our club, and they move in a different direction. In very tight intervals, both those organizations move on. So Cowboys see that Earl Thomas becomes available. I mean, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to vet a the player. They're going to do research. They're going to make phone calls, and they're going to get an idea of what exactly they are be getting by bringing Earl Thomas into their building. What followed was silence. Silence in terms of contract discussions, silence in terms of uh, making an effort to bring Earl Thomas to Dallas. I think that silence should – be as telling as anything I could say or you Jane could say about how the where the Cowboys stand today on Earl Thomas I mean you wanted to be an optimist and think it's going to happen you always oh veterans sign them after week one or salary does it come guarantee and all that but I just don't think that applies here
1: with that being said one other layer I was talking to a Raven source today and that organization has not had any contact with anybody from the Cowboys inquiring about Earl Thomas in other words, there has been no vetting or even discussions about that particular player, which I thought was interesting and should also speak to they're going to do their due diligence. Someone would have picked up the phone. There's, that phone is not ring about that particular player. Well, so well
3: was- any, any research they need to do now, they can just ask Brandon Carr, who stood next to him in, in the defensive backfield last night. Well,
1: time. and Galkin, before we let you go, I lied to you. Just listening to Brandon talk today, and I had even talked to the Ravens about Carr, and they said that this is a willing tackler. Uh, they think that he's better. I think it was, what, free safety is what they thought that he was a little bit more natural at, uh, that he made that transition. Let me see if I can't pull that up. That he made that transition. Well, great deep safety. They think he'd be great uh, working against the Titans. And then when I talked to the Cowboys, they just they noted all of these positions that he can play along the field. How quick do you think it is before we see him move up from the veteran practice squad? And how easy is that given this new system?
0: Yeah, so it helps that he he has free agent workouts. So he was able to start the COVID testing, and so he'll be able to have a full practice week. Um, it's not like where Randy Gregory was there. You know, he, uh, you know, became cleared on Monday. He was able to begin COVID testing. Like, he wouldn't be eligible to be with the Cowboys at practice if he could practice on Wednesday. You know, that's not that's something Randy Gregory could do. But that's something that Brandon Carr can do. So, he's got a bit of a leg up in terms of just getting ready for a Sunday game. If you think to how NFL training camps, though, this season have been structured, there's been a lengthy strength and conditioning acclimation period where even if, as Brandon Carr has said, you know, I was, I've been training all off season that's fine. A lot of players have been training all offseason, but yet the NFL the NFL players association found it prudent for anyone to start training camp to have like a more gradual acclimation. And so, you know, the, the Cowboys had a program for Don Terry Poe and coming off of PUP. They had a program for Everson Griffin. After they signed him, they were easing these guys along and practice, you know, just doing individual drills or just doing strength and conditioning before they actually had them do team drills, uh, much less learn a playbook. And communicate in the back end of, of a defense, you know, against a team uh, that uh, likes to pass as much as the Ravens do, or as, as the Rams do. So I'd, I'd, I would be a little surprised if we saw him say start on Sunday. Um, maybe they would call him up from the practice squad. You can do that with two guys, um, but I also wouldn't be surprised at all if he's not active at all uh, for, for at least the time being. This doubt is coming. He's going to be a big part of this defense.
3: All right. Well, Michael, we appreciate you joining us today. Everybody, as uh, I told you, you can go follow him on Twitter at. Gelkin NFL, uh, Jane. I won't ask you to spell Gelkin. It's G E H L K E N. I've uh, I've I've learned where that H goes. That's always the trickiest part of it. But I, I've learned where the H goes, so so that's where you can follow. Michael, we appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, we got a lot coming uh, up this week for the Cowboys. Of course, Week One, first game, and uh, we'll be back with another episode this week. We still got to preview the Rams. We didn't even get into so much of what we could have discussed already. You know, we got to preview the Rams. We got to talk about uh, how Deshaun Watson's contract now uh, impacts Dak, which uh, Jerry Jones acknowledged to this week on Dallas Radio. There's still, lots to talk about. Uh, but it feels good that football is once again on the horizon, and uh, we'll talk to you again later this week.